This is Marco, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. episode 189 of the yellow wall pod i'm your host stefan butzko and we are here to talk about borussia dortmund's last game of the season they've won it and are now third against Werder bremen and we are also here to preview the cup final and by we i mean matthias zuk hello matthias how are you doing hello stefan i'm doing well i hope you are as well yeah i'm a bit tired but otherwise i'm great and also here last Paulmann. hey Lars. everything's fine with you As always, Stefan, yes. That's perfect. So, um, yeah, let's dive right in. Dortmund won 4-3. Was a yeah, very interesting game. Even for the neutrals, I guess it was a lot of fun. So, um, Lars, how fun was it for you? <laughs> And, uh, yeah, what, what do you make of this game at the very end of the season, giving, given that Dortmund were under huge amounts of, of pressure, but were trailing twice in that match? Well, I think it was a lot of fun, uh, as you said, for the neutrals, but also uh, for us who are more inclined to follow Dortmund closely because they played very well, especially in the first half. And then I think for the final 20 minutes again, they really let loose. And I think they had so many scoring chances in this game. They could have easily scored five or six goals. Obviously, they, they needed those two penalties in the end uh, to win the game and make third but um, the pressure wasn't even that high I believe uh, because there were no bad news from Hoffenheim and in this case uh, no news were good news for Dortmund because yeah but you never know Hoffenheim yeah, just I mean, might Hoffenheim, snatch it at the very end Hoffenheim had uh, I think two uh, hits of the woodwork but just in general having seen the highlights of that game it wasn't like Hoffenheim were banging on the door now obviously Dortmund didn't know that but Uh, for for us, um, you know, watching the game and and waiting for results from other uh, stadia, I think it wasn't as nerve wracking as it could have been. For example, had Hoffenheim beaten Augsburg 3-0 after 20 minutes, then that would have been really, really a, a lot of pressure on Dortmund. But I mean, from from our perspective, it wasn't as nerve wracking as it could have been. But certainly for the players. Who don't always know the uh, results from other stadia just because the results aren't given out momentarily. Um, you know, for them to come back twice from behind and certainly after in the second half, uh, having played so well in the first and then conceding twice in the second half and really not looking at their best for, I don't know, 25 minutes or so for them to come back from that, uh, in the way they did and keeping the pressure on Bremen and, and, keeping the foot down on the gas pedal. That was really, really quite something. And, and certainly they deserved after all that's happened in the last few months and really the entire season, they deserved uh, coming in third. And that's what they did. Yeah, that's what they did indeed. Matthias, what does this third place now mean for Dortmund? Oh, it, it 
means everything, really. I think we talked about it in one of the previous episodes in the sense that uh, they now have Planungssicherheit, so they can plan for next season. They know they are definitely going to be in the group stages. They know pretty much the money that they're going to receive. Um, they know that when they talk to prospective new players or coaches, um, that uh, they can say, hey, we've got Champions League football yet again here in Dortmund, and uh, that that's huge for them. Then psychologically, obviously, going into the cup final, it gives them a bit of a boost. Uh, also, the fact that we can't forget they finished the season in third, but they were only three points behind Leipzig, who were significantly further ahead of them at one point in the season. So a couple of those draws go a different way for Dortmund, and they would have finished the season in second, which I still thought for a long time they were going to achieve. Uh, the Unfortunately, uh, the Augsburg match and one or two other ones kind of screwed that one up, but uh, it's huge. Uh, it's it's a, a big deal. And I think you saw that not just in the way the players celebrated, but also in the way the supporters celebrated after the fourth goal. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, the Ultras, uh, Desperados, Ubos, and the Unity all stayed away from the gap. And uh, I think people on TV saw that there was a hole at the very heart of the yellow wall. Now, what happened is that uh, I think three or four people, according to the police, attacked the police or yeah, were, were then detained. And uh, out of solidarity, the entire ultra scene stayed away, uh, making the atmosphere a bit differently because there was not the, uh, yeah, what we would call in German Zingzang over 90 minutes where you have this constant carpet of noise, but yeah, not, not as reactive to the game. And, uh, it was funny that at some, t at some points, the atmosphere was completely flat and in, in the end, the stadium was completely berserk. Can I, can I say something to that point? Uh, yeah, please. Because honestly, um, having been a Dortmund supporter longer than a lot of the ultra fans have been alive, um, it really pissed me off. I thought their behavior was shameful and complete bullshit. Uh, solidarity for three or four idiots that decided to assault the police and, or supposedly assault the police or whatever, and basically you are abandoning... They, they lit pyrotechnics. This is how it all started. Yeah, and, well, uh, you know the, you're not the supposed to do that. police searched them and, and found it. Yeah, you know you're not supposed to do that. So don't be a dumbass. And uh, to then say out of solidarity, we're not going to show up, we're not going to support our club, we're not going to support our city, we're not going to support the other fans. That's just how selfish and petulant of children a lot of those ultras have become. and. It, it it pissed me off. I thought it was an embarrassment that they decided to act that way um, when so much was on the line for the club uh, moving forward in the next season. It was pure, selfish, childish behavior from a bunch of children. Well, if you want to beat Matthias up, you have to visit him in Denver. <laughs> yeah, bring it up. I, I don't care, man. I don't care. I really, really don't care. Not one of those idiots would scare me, worry me whatsoever. Uh, I just found it was shameful behavior. Absolutely shameful. Yeah, I agree. It's just too selfish and shows basically how little it has to do with football sometimes. But yeah, I'm I'm not in the scene to know too many things about the solidarity in, in those circles. But, you know. Anywho, let's uh, put our focus back on the game. Um, Dortmund, of course, 62% possession. I think that's more or less a given but they had 28 shots 
which is quite a, a lot. Bremen 11, Dortmund uh, 11 of those 28 shots on goal and Bremen 5 on target. Um, Last, if we look at the first goal of Slatko Junusevic, um, how do you see Dortmund's entire defense in that scene? Because, I don't know, but for me, it felt like the ball was sitting there loose just in front of goal for Junusevic to tuck away for eternities. Yeah, generally speaking, I don't really blame them too much for that goal. It was a nice counter-attack from Bremen, which is what their huge strength is. Um, I, I yeah, think which it, we predict, predicted. Yeah, which we and everybody last... who ever watched Bremen this season knew coming into the game would be uh, a potential issue. And I mean, it's not like they invited it or anything. Uh, it's just that's Bremen's strength and they did it very well in that sequence. So uh, they they got the shot on on target, but I think it was uh, Ginter who blocked it, and then everybody was basically on the ground, uh, and then, you know, Yunusovic was the first to react. I don't know if if we can blame any anyone for that. If anything, we can praise Roman Burki for his attempt to save it, and he did save it only, you know, 10 centimeters behind the line. That that would have been, uh, had the goal not been given, uh, and I'm 1,000% certain it wouldn't have been given without the goal line technology cameras. Uh, showing uh, that it was indeed behind the line. I think we would be talking about a save of the season candidate from Roman Burki just because he made such a great effort to get across uh, to that ball and, and block it with his feet behind the line. So I think that's just the the kind of goal you can concede against good teams and Bremen are certainly a good team in at this point of the season in 2017. So I didn't have uh, too much issues with that goal. Uh, what I did think was problematic defensively was more towards the start of the second half uh, when, as it was against uh, Augsburg the week before, it was too easy to get behind the last line of defense from Dortmund, which we've seen time and time yeah, again this season. Si side again too. Yeah, it was always the, the long ball behind the, the space vacated by either uh, Ginter or Pulisic or at, at times Socrates and that's too easy to cheap and uh, I mean that That resulted in two goals as well. So if anything, uh, that's a point Tuchel uh, will be mad about and not the first one. I think he also said something to the line of uh, the first one was just a nice counterattack from Bremen. That can happen. So I'm inclined to follow his lead on that one. Yeah, the the question is, Matthias, uh, we've seen this a couple of times now. Um, do opponents prepare, you know, like pressing traps? Only I would call it, let's say, interception traps where they basically play a pass and hope that one of Dortmund's defenders leave their line in order to accept it. We've seen it with Ginter, but also with Socrates in that game that, uh, yeah, they leave the line, open the space behind that and come too late for that in interception because it's a very close call. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't want to beat up on Ginter over and over and over and over again. Um, he's just not a very good defender. So I, I think that's something you have to expect and accept that that's the situation we're in uh, this season. Uh, it's annoying that also proves just how good of a keeper Birki really is. If you look at the fact that, you know, our much maligned defense is still the fourth best in the Bundesliga, um, barely fourth best. I mean, within a couple of goals of being second best. So, um, you know, it, It's annoying when you know this is what's going to happen, but it was also a match where Dortmund had to win, so you're going to take those kind of risks. 
Can I defend the defender Ginter for, sure. for just a second? I, sure. I think Ginter did nothing wrong uh, in the, the last two games against Augsburg and Bremen and still was closest to uh, defend a goal or two. Uh, it was just long balls behind the space he vacated, but not uh, with him stepping up to make interceptions, just him moving up the pitch to be available in position and then uh, players in midfield losing the ball and then uh, both Augsburg and Bremen just played long balls and tested Ginter's sprinting ability. And I mean, he's long, he's not the most nimble guy. So obviously attackers will uh, run past him with relative ease. I, I don't think it was necessarily an, an issue of his positioning or anything. I think they just identified um, his backtracking, I guess, or his lack of foot speed as a weakness. And, and also, um, I think we have to take into account that Ginter played a number of roles in the last few weeks against Augsburg. He started at centre-back, then played in midfield when uh, Weigel broke his ankle. And then against Bremen, he started at centre-back, moved out to right-back. And that's a lot of... Um, it's just a lot of uh, roles for him to play this season. And at times that isn't really helpful to a player who's not really... I don't know how to say it. Um, who's not really settled into one role too well, but overall I think Ginter has been a pleasant surprise actually in the last few weeks uh, with Bartra unfortunately unavailable until last weekend. He's done better than I would have expected so uh, I, I don't think it's fair to to single him out. Uh, I know you didn't really do that in, in this instant, but I, I, I still see people all the time uh, blaming Ginter for pretty much everything and even though I'm not a big fan of his, I'm, I think he's done better than people give him credit for at, at, at the at the last in the last few weeks at least i'll have to agree with that overall he's he's improved but it's still still not great <laughs> well i have to slightly disagree with Lars on two occasions because i actually thought that ginter was caught in two minds when he was trying to go for an interception because just by the way he reacted to loss of possession where he actually moved forward and then backward but uh yeah Again, the same happened in the game to Socrates. So, um, yeah, he also did not have his best game, although still a pretty good game. Um, but if we talk about slow foot speed, um, I also have to single out, or not also, but I have to single out Nuri Shine because, uh, we could see in this instance very well how slow he is at the moment. Um, Lars, maybe already looking ahead a bit to the cup final, do you think this might be an issue? Well, I certainly agree with the notion that he didn't really look athletically competitive uh, against Bremen. I mean, when when Max Kruse, who's anything but a blazer, uh, runs past you like Usain Bolt, then that's probably not a good sign for your athletic abilities at the moment. Obviously, Shine has a it has an extensive injury history, not only this season but in years past that have taken that uh, that toll on on his athleticism. But he was never really one of the fastest players on the team. And I don't know how well Frankfurt are set up to take advantage of it, but um, I, I certainly think that uh, Shahin's shortcomings athletically will mean that uh, he's not going to see the field for 90 or even 120 minutes should it come to that. Not only because he's so slow and, and with uh, tiring uh, teammates, that could be an issue in counter-attacking defense, but also just in general Seeing as he hasn't played so much uh, in the last few weeks, it's probably a good bet to to say that he'll uh, exit the pitch after 60, 70 minutes. And, and the question then is, um, 
depending on how the game goes to that point, does Rode get the uh, the nod in defensive midfield or do they move Castro in there or, you know, Don Miguel Merino is still <laughs> still on the team technically. So um not expecting that, of course, but um I, I certainly don't think Shine can play the entire game however long it takes. So uh, I think Tuche will go into the game with 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 a plan or two, depending how the uh, the game is at the point. Um, do they need to chase maybe, or do they need someone to recycle possession? That's that's something he certainly has to take into account when uh, putting together not only his starting eleven but also his uh, eighteen man squad. Yeah, certainly. But uh, Nurishan in this match, especially uh, when he yeah pre-assisted, let's say, the equalizer, also showed what quality he has where he played a vertical pass, I think, through three Bremen defenders right in the feet of Kagawa, uh, who then passed it on to Marco Reus. And I was a bit surprised that Reus actually did not find Aubameyang in that instance, which would have been a nice layover. But uh, yeah, tried for a very... Astute finish in, into the short corner. And, uh, yeah, it worked out. 1-1. Uh, great goal, I think. I don't, I don't know which tops the list for me because there were seven goals and a lot of nice goals to choose from. So, um, yeah. But nevertheless, um, how much Matthias can this ability of Shine to play these kind of vertical passes, uh, help in the cup final to turn it around on shine to not only look at his shortcomings uh well i mean it's it's one of those that can unlock potentially a very i would assume defensive and compact uh eintracht frankfurt side in, in the final so playing those types of passes accurately and with some pace can unsettle them and move them out of position. So it's actually, in a match like that, very, very important. All right, fair enough. Um, and I I don't know, but I feel like singling out a, a couple of players here because uh, I was also very much impressed with the one Shinji Kagawa uh, in in this game. Yet again, uh, 91% pass completion rate, the highest of, of the team. Um, and yeah, he really stepped up in the, in the last weeks and months, uh, last do you think Dortmund should offer him a new contract now, which is running out until uh, or running out in 2018 at the moment? Yeah, I would certainly agree that uh, Kagawa has been by and large among Dortmund's best players. I would go as far as uh, calling him Dortmund's player of the Rückrunde uh, just because Marco Reus missed too much time. Um, I don't know exactly how that uh, translates to contract talks because that's more of a strategic decision and you know there's a coaching change incoming by all accounts so does he have a role uh, with a new guy whoever that may be uh, does he even want to stay at Dortmund as potentially only a top 15 player and not a clear-cut starter that, because let's face it if everybody was available to Dortmund all the time in the second half of the season Kagawa would probably not have gotten as many opportunities to impress us uh, as he in fact did so uh, I mean there's he already has of course the the experience the negative one from moving to a to an even bigger club and not exactly panning out too well at Manchester United so if he if he's open to staying on even as as I said potentially not a clear-cut starter then I would certainly offer him a new contract just because uh, a player like him is hard to find uh, with his qualities 
in short spaces, um, his ingenuity on the ball, but also his work rate against uh, the ball. Um, his uh, gegenpressing is very good, underrated quality of his. So I'm a fan of Kagawa's, even though he's sometimes a bit maddening to watch, I think, much like uh, Gonzalo Castro, only on a higher level uh, when he's on it. So uh, I personally, I, I would have... Uh, extended an offer to him uh, months ago or let's say weeks ago but i don't i don't know how how far ahead the the club is in that discussion uh with him and and his agent and all that but i'm i'm fairly confident uh let's say that they can come to a conclusion yeah i i hope so i mean kagawa by now has how many years has he spent in dortmund now do you know that by on the top of your head uh 2010 to 2012 and 2014 until now, right? So five years. Is that correct? Six? I can't, I, I'm not good at math. <laughs> yeah, well, I won't edit this out and everyone can think for themselves now. <laughs> While, uh, the uh, captain obvious in a hosting seat will now ask another very obvious question. However, Matthias, I still want it to be said. And hereby I ask you, um, Marco Royce, how important was he for Dortmund's final stretch of the season and for, uh, yeah, basically securing third place if we see it, that he scored seven goals in the last eight games across competition? Uh, I'd say he was the most important player <laughs> since he came back. I mean, without him, it wouldn't have happened. He gave, um, his teammates a spark. You just see the dynamism in, in his type of play. Um, that he is an upgrade over anybody else, uh, that plays in that position. And obviously it, it, you know, galvanizes the support even greater behind Dortmund. And, uh, I think you just can't, you can't underrate that. I mean, his, his goal, a few of his last few goals were just, uh, fantastic to watch. Yeah, and he almost exclusively scores important goals. Usually, you know, one if it's either the first or one to draw a level, you know, it's it's rarely that Roy scores like the fourth or the third goal for Dortmund. You know, when they're already winning, but he usually yeah gets on the score sheet when when it's very very crucial for Dortmund. So yeah, I agree with that notion, Matthias, that he has been the most important player uh, for that final stretch. I mean. I think the last game he missed in the Bundesliga was the 4-1 loss against Bayern, right? He came back against Frankfurt, scored the first goal there too, I think with a back heel or so, mm -hmm. very early on. And uh, yeah, then also a good game in Gladbach. I remember him scoring against Hoffenheim. Yeah, then the race against Bremen and I think the other two yeah, were against Bayern in the cup and who else? Oh yeah, Monaco. Monaco, there we go. yeah. So pretty impressive numbers right there. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we have still a couple of things to talk about, especially individually. Um, Lars, what do you make of that comeback of uh, Mark Bartra for this game? I mean, I have the uh, team sheet in my hand right now and uh, he is still on the bench there because Marcel Schmelzer injured himself, a muscle injury in, in warm-up. So Mark Bartra with eight interceptions in this game, how crucial was he and how impressed were you by his comeback what was basically a cold start yeah i think Tuchel said the cold start actually helped him uh, obviously uh, with the circumstances uh, of his absence uh, it wasn't 
you know, a, a normal uh, workplace injury or anything. It was the uh, the the, the sad uh, low point of that attack on the players on the bus. Um, I think it certainly helped him not to uh, know about his start uh, with more than, I don't know, 20 minutes to go. Um, I think Sky actually said that Bender would start, so I don't know if, if they just got a wrong info or maybe Dorp would uh, switch their minds uh, immediately before kickoff, but uh, then Bartra was in it, and it, it didn't really look like he had missed much time. I mean, um, obviously, his kind of uh, injury, arm injuries, usually don't take too much of a toll on, on players uh, because they can at least run relatively soon after surgery, which uh, is is different to, let's say, a, a ligament uh, problem or anything where you lose more substance. I think he looked pretty good athletically. Uh, I mean, he is pretty fast for a defender. Uh, closed down uh, opponents on the uh, sideline pretty well with speed and uh, athleticism. And I think generally he played really well. Uh, even without the the circumstances, but keeping them in mind too, I think he was exceptional. Uh, and I think seeing him uh, get his moment in front of the yellow wall after the game was probably one of the highlights of the season from an emotional standpoint. And him him pointing to his uh, arm cast and and basically breaking down, crying after the game was was certainly very moving to me. And I think. Pretty much everyone who uh, who watched it, even even some of the Bremen players who were interviewed by German TV during uh, those scenes, uh, you could clearly see that they were affected by this. Well, so um, uh, just very very touching and moving the to to watch uh, how how well he he is received both among teammates but also among fans. Uh, I mean, for for a player who's been here just one season. Uh, Batra is certainly right up there with players uh, who are beloved by the fans, and and he certainly deserves it. But because he's uh, just a, a, a top guy, uh, and also someone who identified with the club immediately, with which isn't uh, something you can expect from a player moving abroad for the first time at the age of twenty-five. So and uh, coming from La Masia and Barcelona, yeah, and and having that history himself, uh, I think. Um, he certainly one of the the best signings Dortmund have made, not only on the pitch but uh, for all he does off the pitch as well. Yeah, Matthias, uh, were you also moved by the scenes that took place after the game? How can you not be? Uh, you know, if we just think about how emotionally charged the last six seven weeks have been, um, it, it just kind of all came out. Uh, at that moment, last home match of the season, uh, I think more you'll probably see after the cup final, depending on how it goes. But this was, you know, in front of, in that atmosphere, uh, it was, it was great to see. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just amazing, you know, how lucky he was. And I think that's just what he realized in that moment, you know, how lucky he is to basically still live his dream, you know, be a professional footballer and, in that stadium right now at the club is is probably still pretty amazing and yeah i i mean i'm not one who tears up easily but uh yeah that was a that was the moment where, which i obviously could feel too so um yeah mark batra uh hopefully will also lift the cup on uh saturday and matthias 
I know you're just the right guy to ask this question. What do you make of uh, Doppelpass, I think, or Sport1 at least, uh, measuring the time? And it was 2.01 seconds of uh, Thomas Tuchel and Aki Watzke hugging it out after the game. Uh, I think it's called <laughs> pseudo-journalism. I don't know, clickbait journalism. I, I Honestly, I don't really pay attention much to what they say or do. Because uh, it's not very, it's not the most legitimate media outlet. All right, fair enough. But I, I, I thought you, you wanted to chime in and, and tell us how, how important that hug was or not, because it was completely scrutinized on German media, and I was a bit annoyed, let's say, with that, because it was just, you know, the ordinary hug. Yeah, it doesn't really matter to me. All right, fair enough. Then we can uh, finally move on to. Uh, Yeah, a guy who also caused quite a stir in post-match, but obviously uh, before the game was over, Mr. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang uh, had himself to win the Torjägerkanone, as we say in Germany, the Bundesliga's top scoring award. And uh, he is, according to Opta at least, the very first player who could uh, win it from second or third place or whatever, or at least from a losing position on a final match day. Last, um, I know I, I sometimes joke around that Aubameyang only scores tap-ins because obviously he does not. How spectacular was his first goal and, and how huge was uh, that penalty by him uh, to convert in the 89th minute? Uh, both very. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the his first, the 2-1 the was, I can uh, already say, uh, before the cup final and I guess two weeks before our award show, my goal of the season, just because the entire move was so spectacular, starting with Kagawa holding uh, or keeping the ball against two unrushing defenders with a little piece of skill and then finding Dembele and um, and the that 20-year-old magician just taking out seven defenders with one lob pass, which doesn't really happen, <laughs> especially with Aubameyang being onside. Uh, it's so easy to time that just wrong and have it whistled away. So uh, the, the pass was also spectacular. And then Aubameyang on the turn, volleying the ball just under the crossbar. I mean, the entire thing was uh, orgasmic almost in the in its quality. So uh, certainly one of the, the, the great goals you will see from any team in any league this season. And uh, any season for that matter too. <laughs> that's that's how great it was. And uh, the the penalty. I don't know uh, how the the timing worked with the Augsburg game. It might have been over already. Uh, no, it was still going on when Dortmund okay. uh, were uh, already done. Yeah. Okay. But um, I I was a bit surprised that Reus didn't take the second one as well because he obviously took the first penalty and slotted away easily. But uh, Reus had that run in with the post uh, which could have been a devastating uh, injury annoying Royce or maybe he didn't want to force his luck with another penalty after that incident maybe he he felt it at his shin or something so uh, he left it to Aubameyang I don't think really it was about the goal scoring charts because they they probably didn't know whether Lewandowski had scored or not so um I, I don't think uh, Royce wanted to leave the ball to Aubameyang just so he can win the uh, Kanone, uh, as you said, Stefan. Uh, probably more about his uh, his run-in with the post, as I said. And then for Aubameyang to, to put it away was also important because he had missed three of his last four, I think. So 
uh, that's the 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 reason why Royce took the first one, I guess. Um, so certainly important, even if, as we know now, uh, they didn't really have to win the game to uh, win third place. Yeah, that's true, but it made it all the more better. And uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, as Tuchel said, ahead of the match, or a journalist, I think, pointed it out that Aubameyang was uh, training penalties beforehand. So, yeah, which helped him, obviously, to tuck this one away. Um, Matthias Aubameyang scored as many goals in this one season with 31 as Lothar Emmerich. This obviously makes him one of the greatest to ever play for Dortmund, right? Makes him one of the most prolific goal scorers in Dortmund history, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, how how happy are you with Aubameyang at the moment? And how, how much do you fear for him leaving? Well, obviously, I'm very happy. I mean, if we look at his development as a player at Dortmund, he was brought in as a winger. Uh, there was no, you know, he wasn't seen as a striker because... Uh, We had strikers, and it turned out we didn't have strikers. <laughs> so it was kind of one of those, oh, let's put him there. He's kind of played there before, and you could never have really foreseen, no matter what anybody says and thinks, that he would have had this extreme of an impact as far as goal scoring goes. And just think about if he was even more clinical, if he, uh, if, if he was just a little bit cooler in front of goal, he probably would score 40, 45 uh, a season because of the amount of really sitters that he's just missed. Um, now, as far as him leaving, it took a while for us to adjust after Lewandowski left and to figure out that Aubameyang can fill those shoes quite well as far as goal scoring goes. Um, fear him leaving. I mean, granted, with what we have right now, oh, it's a huge, it's a huge problem. I mean, uh, it's kind of like if you look at any of the top Any of these clubs that are battling for Europe or that are in Europe, if you take out Lewandowski out of Bayern, they're not scoring the goals. If you take out Modest out of Köln, they're not scoring goals. If you take Gomez out of Wolfsburg, they are they're automatically relegated. So Aubameyang fits in that as far as incredibly important because we don't have anybody else. Uh, so hopefully, if he leaves, and even though it does look like he probably will be leaving, uh, that we Uh, bring in someone who is a proven goal scorer in this type of system who can also deal with the physicalities of playing three matches every week. Yeah, the thing is, of course, he is on a contract until 2020 and yes. Dortmund are not forced to let him go. So, you know, in the end, it obviously will be their decision whether he gets to go or not. But they, uh, yeah, Fatske and Sok more or less already revealed this that if the offer is good enough, they will have to think about it. And it's, of course, always, you know, in your thoughts whether a player actually uh, still wants to play for your team or not. Although I think if Aubameyang is uh, to stay for, yet say, another season, uh, you know, he's he's still... I, I, I think, of course, myself, I think uh, that he still will play as professionally as uh, Lewandowski did in this Final year. Um, last, do you want to shed some light of that, uh, yeah, curious interview? Let's say, uh, Aubameyang gave to Sky, uh, assisted by Massimo Moratti, his, uh, translator, among other jobs at Dortmund. Yeah, it wasn't as much curious as it was hilarious. Um, first of all, all I, I don't <laughs> even understand why they are still, uh, 
interviewing him in German and then Mariotti translates to Italian because by now we all know Aubameyang's English is just about fine. So, I mean, Aubameyang gives, gives, uh, English language interviews to the, to the club's own YouTube channel and, and, and uh, TV channel. So might as well do that with the, uh, other media outlets as well, but yeah, they, he does they, it in a mixed zone too. He yeah, they, English. they, they, they didn't. And, and, and that was, uh, where, where the comedic value was because, uh, the, 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 the sky reporter asked him in German, uh, and Mariotti translated whether his tears, uh, because he was crying too when he received the, uh, the award uh, were tears of joy or those of a man soon leaving and and Aubameyang said uh, mostly tears of joy and asked about whether he was leaving or not uh, said that he will uh, decide next week and talk to the club and the translator uh, was looking a bit shocked uh, because Aubameyang had forgotten about <laughs> the cup final uh, which obviously takes place in the week he wanted to decide and asked uh, Aubameyang in Italian uh, hey you didn't you forget about the cup final you mean the week Later, uh, and Aubameyang said something to the effect of, you tell them whatever you want, I will talk to the club. So uh, me understanding Italian was uh, quite helpful in that instance, because I was uh, certainly one of the more hilarious interviews I've seen in recent weeks. But I think uh, as with the Tuchel, Watzke, Brohack or whatever that lasted 2.1 seconds instead of 3.2 or whatever. 2.01. Yeah. My, Let's be precise here, Lars. <laughs> yeah, as we are always on the yellow wall pod, we are precise as hell. Um, as, Especially as, with predictions. <laughs> yeah, because you got it right once. Um, as with Twice the, in the last games, my friend. Twice yeah, in the last three games. Good for so. you. Can I finish my sentence now? As, no, you can. As with that hug, no hug, whatever it was, uh, I think this interview with Aubameyang was probably a little over-scrutinized. I mean, uh, I think pretty much everybody expects him to leave regardless of whatever he says two minutes after an emotionally charged game. So I don't think him saying these things made any difference on the outcome of his decision whenever that's going to come. I'm pretty sure the decision has already been made and has only is only to be communicated uh, both to the club and then whenever they agree to a deal with presumably Paris or a team from China, uh, their communication to the public. I don't think that a last talk uh, between club officials and Aubameyang will bring upon a decision that has been made and presumably been made months ago. Uh, so, uh, But it was certainly just very funny, if nothing else. All right, Matthias, um, staying on that subject, do you think it's wise of Aubameyang if he leaves to either PSG or a Chinese club uh, to make that move? Or if you were his agent, would you tell him to stay put in Dortmund? Oh, jeez. Um, I mean, <laughs> if it's between Dortmund... Leaving, leaving, leaving the commission fee out of... <laughs> I was going to say, if I was his agent, I'd be like, sign the line. No, um... PSG, okay, you know, I mean, it's, it's closer to home. He's essentially French. Um, it's, I wouldn't begrudge him a move to PSG. I'll be perfectly honest. Uh, I, I see it as a, a natural fit, even though 
it's going to be a tough battle for the the starting position, depending on also what happens with Cavani and what other things they do. Uh, China, I would definitely tell him don't do it. I mean, yeah, it's a great money play, but he's still so in the prime of his career uh, to – and I'm against players moving to China in general for many, many reasons. Um, very few have to do with football, actually. But uh, no, I if it was between China and Dortmund, I think it's a no-brainer. You have to stay in Dortmund. If it's between PSG and Dortmund, that's going to be a tough call. Uh, because obviously PSG can pay a lot more than Dortmund. They'll both be offering Champions League football. Um, that I'm I'm going to have to push on that one. But China definitely no. If he moves to China, I lose all respect for him. All right, that answers that question. Unless uh, Lars wants to chime in. Yeah, I think uh, first of all, every player should do whatever he wants to do. In my opinion, I don't think it is my place or anyone's place to tell a player to go or not to go to any place he uh, chooses. I mean, uh, if they offer him uh, the, the highest salary of any player in the world, then how can I tell him who hasn't earned a shit ton of money uh, with Saint-Étienne and Dortmund? How can I tell him not to go there because it's a, what we call a Kirmesliga in Germany, so a not competitive setting football-wise? I mean, uh, he can... He, the, the next contract he signs will be the last huge contract of his life because he's going to be 28, I think, in the summer or at least this season uh, or this year. So, uh, I mean, the next contract will probably take him until 32 or so, 33 perhaps. So it's certainly the last huge money contract he can sign. So if if he wants to maximize his earning potential, then he, ha he has everywhere to do that. And I, I wouldn't begrudge him either way. Obviously, uh, if he's getting competitive offers uh, from, let's say, Paris or maybe even uh, a Premier League club, then I would presume he will go there because the money is also pretty good there and he has the competitiveness in the league and uh, presumably the opportunity to compete for Champions League trophies. But either way... Um, I, I always think that players should do whatever they, they choose. It's it's their career and, and everybody uh, telling them what to do. Uh, it's it's not anyone's place, really, in my opinion. I, I didn't even begrudge uh, Mario Götze or Mats Hummels defecting for Bayern. It's If they so choose, then, then that's their right to do that. Oh, yeah, definitely it is. And I, I hope it's now my right to do, uh, to put the attention on the upcoming cup final. Uh, Borussia Dortmund have lost... The last three, but that also means they uh, had the joys of celebrating a cup semi-final win for four times in a row, so which is cool as well, I think. So, <laughs> Matthias, how much are you looking forward to this match against Eintracht Frankfurt on Saturday? I always look forward to a cup final with Dortmund. I mean, one of my lasting big memories uh, as a child was the 1989 cup win. You know, which is the first major trophy Dortmund had won in over 20 years. So uh, that was a big deal, and it's always a big deal for Dortmund supporters. Always is, no question about it. So I think um, this is our best chance at winning it because <laughs> uh, we're not playing against uh, Bayern, and, and even the season where we lost uh, to to Wolfsburg, the writing was on the wall that that was that was probably going to be a lost Cup final. Uh, just because of the form they were in, the form we were in, and so on. Um, so no, I'm, I'm very excited. 
Yeah, I, I think we all can be, because as you pointed out, Dortmund are the favorites for this one. Um, I actually, yeah, as I already admitted, I was actually for once watching Doppelpass on Sunday morning, or rather listening to it via stream while I was playing some handheld game on my phone. So much for my Sunday mornings. However, um, they had Nico Kovac on there, and he said that they... Uh, are completely without any pressure and they have nothing to lose and uh you know there's uh, will give their all yada 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 um last however frankfurt not exactly the team that uh yeah features in the cup final that often if i remember correctly um their last win uh was in the in the cup final before dortmund won it in 1989 and 1988 and of course if they win, they play in Europe. So do you think they're really completely without any pressure whatsoever? Nobody in a final is ever without pressure. Uh, uh -huh. Even though I think uh, for Frankfurt playing in Europe is probably uh, an argument against winning the cup because they don't have the, the squad that can excel across three competitions. So, I, I mean, with some of those Bundesliga teams like Freiburg, for example, in the last few years, Mainz and Augsburg at some points, you, you can basically uh, pencil them in for a, a relegation battle at the start of the season when they had a good season before and have to play in the Europa League. So for Frankfurt, it would arguably be better not to play in Europe, but obviously they are in a cup final. And as you said, some, most of the players in Frankfurt, in Frankfurt squad won't have too many opportunities at silverware period and then certainly not in a league as competitive as the Bundesliga. So, uh, he can, Kovac can talk the, the hard man, uh, you know, classic coach talk, whatever he wants. Uh, it's as much of a, a pressure situation for them as it is for Dortmund. Um, and even though Frankfurt haven't been great whatsoever in the second half of the season they must certainly like their chances simply because it's it's a one-off final and, and a lot can happen in those situations and let's face it frankfurt have also beaten dortmund already this season uh obviously that was when they were on their best run of form when when they looked a proper good side in the bundesliga uh in i think november um since then they haven't won too many games but as I said, a one-off final there. And uh, as we all know, the cup has its own rules, as we like to say in Germany. So uh, he can talk all he wants. He wants to win the cup as much as anybody else. Yeah, of course. Otherwise, he wouldn't compete at all. Um, Matthias, um, as last pointed out, Frankfurt not really great in the second half of the season. The second round table uh, has them 18th with uh, three wins, four draws and 10 losses out of those 17 games um so what do you what do you make of their chances overall and uh, maybe talking a bit about the pressure here um do you think this is one of Dortmund's biggest advantages that they basically know the situation much better you know playing in the final for the last six games in a row uh six years in a row well they're obviously used to being there uh Frankfurt are not used to being there uh Yes, there is more pressure on Dortmund because winning the cup will basically say we had a very good season. We made a good run of it in the Champions League without the bombing. Who knows if we would have beaten Monaco or not? Um, we finished third direct qualification for the Champions League. 
even though everybody thought we'd finish second, but still very, very good. And then you win a cup. Uh, so yeah, there's more pressure there. They, I don't think they're going to be too many surprises when they face Frankfurt, uh, given that Frankfurt basically in the second half of the season couldn't score goals, uh, with one or two matches exception. I think their highest scoring game, I think was against Augsburg. So they won 3-1, uh, most goals that they scored. So, you know, they know it's going to be a tough, tough match where Frankfurt's probably just going to pack everybody into the box behind the ball, play negative and hope to break a counter or get a penalty or a set piece goal, something like that. So, um, Dortmund's, you know, odds are they're going to have all the possession, you know, probably close to 70%. Uh, they just have to remain, remain calm and confident, uh, and not let, certain things get to them. And I'm thinking there specifically of Usman Dembele needs to keep calm and keep his head. Yeah, for Dembele, obviously, uh, it's a cup final. The first one, I think, I don't know if he uh, was in one with Ren, but yeah, no, I would remember that. Um, Lars, what do we what do we make of Frankfurt in their situation right now? I mean, they have a couple of Key players fit at the right time. I'm thinking about uh, Fabian, who has returned a while ago. But uh, yeah, against Leipzig, I think Vallejo came back and Alex Meyer also had an appearance, their striker. Um, do you think this will give them a huge boost or uh, do, you, do you think that this doesn't actually matter too much for them right now? Well, I think uh, tasked with pointing out the two most important players in Frankfurt system, I would probably go to Jesus Vallejo and uh, Alexander Meyer. So <laughs> having them back is certainly uh, huge for them. Uh, Vallejo being back in the uh, back line, I, presumably he will start. I mean, it's the last game of the season. You can take a little bit of a risk uh, with a player who's perhaps not at 100% of his physical capabilities. Uh, that will allow uh, Bastian Ochipka to move into his normal spot uh, on the left side, uh, where they have struggled a bit with Tavata in the last few weeks. Um, so that's that's two positions already improved upon with one player coming back, and then Maya is as talismanic as they come in Germany. Uh, certainly because of his longevity at the same club, I think uh, Matthias mentioned Mario Gomez uh, a bit earlier. He and Maya are probably the two strikers that whose whose clubs most depend on their goals uh, in Germany. Maybe Cologne with Modest as well, because uh, as you guys mentioned, there are just not many goal scorers in that Frankfurt side. Um, both uh, Harry Seferovic and Branimir Hilgota don't really score goals much. I mean, they they never really did. No, they remind me of Ingolstadt's attacking line, and that's not a huge compliment. Yeah, and and. The problem with Seferovic and Hilgota is that they actually get in those situations but just can't finish. So, um, so having uh, Meyer back, even though he's not had a great season, I think he's only scored five goals in, in 21 or so Bundesliga matches. So that's not a great return for a player who won the goal scoring, uh, award just two seasons ago with, I think, 20 or 21. Um, having him back with certainly, uh, be of massive influence on the way they set up, but the the good thing for Dortmund is that Meyer is probably uh, in in one category as far as racing speed goes as Nuri Shahin is, so they won't have to fear him running away from Batra, Ginter, Socrates, or Bender, whoever 
plays in uh, at center back for Dortmund, maybe even Schmelzer if he can get back to fitness quickly enough. Um, so uh, the thing with Meyer is he can always score from impossible situations because he has a great knack for goal. Uh, he's really tall and, and good with his head in the air. So uh, that's going to be certainly a, a focal point for Dortmund's defending, but his inclusion in the starting 11 doesn't really pose too many tactical problems for Dortmund. So uh, Vallejo is more important to me uh, than Meyer. Yeah, and so you just said, uh, pointing out the two most important players for Frankfurt, you would probably uh, have your pick Vallejo and uh, Meyer. If it were the top three, I would add Fabian. <laughs> so to answer my own question, yeah, of course it's important that they are back. Uh, Matthias, now basically the talking point on this podcast through the entire season and especially in the last two games as well where Dortmund conceded counterattacks against Augsburg and even more against Bremen. Um, this, of course, is an issue Dortmund can and have fixed for yeah some games. Do you think that they will do that against Frankfurt in, in Berlin? That they uh, find maybe a more conservative approach or any other way to yeah have this sort of structure to prevent... Frankfurt to yeah come out of their own half with Dortmund exposed. Well, I think the big difference between this match and uh, especially the Bremen match, I mean, yes, you have to win. It's a cup final. Someone's going to win, but it's a different pressure uh, because against Bremen from the off, Dortmund had to attack all the time without stop. They 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 knew they had to win and score goals, so they were willing to take that risk. I think they will be. Still in the, on the front foot. Uh, like I said, they will dominate possession, but I think they'll be a little bit, a little bit more cautious, um, as far as not conceding the breakaways. Now, granted, uh, just like Lars said, you know, Frankfurt, unlike Bremen, Frankfurt are not necessarily blessed with lightning speed. Um, my concern with Frankfurt would be much more set pieces, specifically coming from corners, because they are strong there, especially Alex Maya. That would be the area I'd have greater concerns than opening up for counterattacks against Frankfurt. I don't know what you're talking about. Domer are completely solid on defending set pieces. I, I don't I don't know what you what you're referring to there. Um <laughs> however I do have to point out in the Dortmund's three one win against Frankfurt in what was it, April or so? Mid April, um they allowed Frankfurt to have like one or two really amazing counter-attacking chances. And yeah, in that instance, Frankfurt also showed why uh, they can't score because I think Fabian blew it himself and yeah, later turned around and scored an absolute cracker. So yeah, this obviously can also happen. There's always that X factor that, yeah, stuff like Socrates pulling one out of the bag or so can happen in, in one single match. So, um, yeah, there are many things uh, to look forward to. Lars, how much of a difference would it be if Marcel Schmelzer can play or cannot play? Well, I'm pretty sure uh, Tuchel will go with his usual big game lineup, which is a back three with two wingbacks. Uh, and I think Schmelzer has been uh, one of the best players in the last few weeks playing that left centre-back role, uh, pairing with Guerrero and often Marco Reus on the, in the channels on the left side. Um, and certainly that would be the ideal situation. Uh, but I think with Barta having come back against Bremen, he can play a similar 
really important position there. Um, I, I would feel worse if it were Ginter because I think Ginter does better on the right side of the fence, uh, just generally. But with uh, Bartra available, I think Schmelzer would be obviously important because he's the team captain. He has so much experience. He's one of the most tactically adept players on the team and, and someone who can rally the troops. Uh, we've seen him time and time again. Uh, when when they scored one goal, he was the first to point out that let, let's get a second, guys. Uh, and, and certainly having the team captain around is always uh, a plus, but I don't think it would be a huge loss certainly against Frankfurt, because as we mentioned uh, before, we are expecting Dortmund to have the bulk of the ball. And in, in, in that, um, in that kind of game, I think Schmelzer's strengths aren't as accentuated as they are in the games against the Bayerns and the Reals of the world. So uh, certainly it would be helpful if he's available because then Tuchel could choose between Bartra and Ginter uh, on the opposite side of uh, defense because Socrates is obviously the first name on the team sheet, but uh, I'm, I'm not too worried about uh, things if Schmelzer can't go, especially also uh, we talked about Reus being so important. I think he, uh, Reus was for the first time, at least from my point of view, Reus was the absolute leader on the pitch against Bremen. He, he did what Schmelzer does so often, which is rallying the troops when things don't go well and just uh, his body language was uh, was very impressive, I think, against Bremen. So uh, Reus wearing the captain's armband as he goes for his first ever real trophy because the Super Cup doesn't count. Maybe that's actually something that I want to see. So uh, as I said, Schmelzer being there would be good, but uh, it's not a deal breaker or anything if he isn't. Yeah. That's true, and uh, yeah, he was rallying the troops at the very beginning of the season where he already said that he does not want to phrase it the way that Dortmund want to reach a cup final, but he says he wants to freaking win it for once and uh, was very clear on uh, how that uh, would be formulated. So um, yeah, Schmelzer, of course, always going ahead and forward. Uh, Matthias, if Schmelzer indeed cannot make it, how important do you think is that the role of Rafael Guerrero uh, especially thinking that Frankfurt will probably try to stretch their own backline, meaning they will probably try to defend with a lot of width. Uh, maybe to give you a little stat for that, Guerrero had 28 completed passes in the attacking half against Bremen, or attacking third, that is, which I thought was kind of a good stat. Well, I mean, he'll, he'll be vital, um, for Dortmund's build-up play, especially getting the ball to Marco Reus or Dembele, depending on how they switch on the wings, uh, because that's really where a lot of the play comes from, um, especially right now with, with Weigl being out. Uh, I, I see that as a big strength. The wings are a huge strength for Dortmund. And so, obviously, he has to play very, very well. Um, he's not as defensively solid as Schmetza. We all know that. Uh, going forward, he's better. He's a better passer. He's got a better touch of the ball. Um, Crossing-wise, I'd probably put him about on par because Schmitz has delivered a few nice crossing assists over the seasons. Uh, so if Schmitz cannot play, I'm not going to say, you know, everything starts and ends with how Guerrero plays because the team overall has to play well, of course, but it'll definitely uh, determine where Frankfurt may focus their attacks. 
Yeah, I mean, Frankfurt's right side, I think they usually have uh, Gacinovic, Chandler, and Hergotha as their triangle there on, on the right side with uh, Seferovic up top more or less, who I think is more leaning to the to the right as well than to the left. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the attacking threat, but I think uh, Fabian is still more influential, hence I think most of their attacks actually go through the left side, but I haven't looked it up, so I, I'm not 100% sure. Um, Matthias, how actually do you, or what kind of game do you expect? Do you expect this maybe to be a blowout win for Dortmund where they completely overpower Frankfurt and, uh, yeah, hit the, hit the net a couple of times and take the tension out of this game very early and make really no, uh, yeah, second guess about who will be the winner in this game? Or do you think this will be a really, really tight match right on the edge of everyone's seat where, uh, yeah, Frankfurt are holding on to a scoreless draw or even even leading the game. What do you think will we see on Saturday? Well, I, I don't expect necessarily an open back-and-forth attacking match. Uh, I mean, it could happen. Kovac, I don't, I don't know what he thinks necessarily. Uh, but my, my gut tells me that they're going to be rather defensive, sit rather deep. And try to uh, frustrate Dortmund and hit him on the counter or get lucky with a set piece. Uh, so I don't think it'll be, you know, on the edge of the seat type things, uh, necessarily because to me that would be a back and forth. I don't think it'll be a Dortmund blowout. Um, I think Dortmund will and should win it, but it, it won't be by a four or five goal margin at all. Yeah. I think if I had to predict what's going to happen, I would probably say the same. Just. That will be a tight match with maybe not as much action as uh, we've seen between Bremen and Dortmund <laughs> on the weekend. Uh, but yeah, should be fun nevertheless because the uh, cup final obviously holds a yeah certain tension on its own. Um, Lars, what's your guess on that game? How do you see it panning out? Yeah, as you said, the the cup finals have their own tension. Uh, it's like the Super Bowl. You, you don't really get blowouts in these one-off games, um, unless, you know, the disparity in talent level is, is huge. Like, uh, when, when Schalke beat Bayer, uh, beat, uh, Duisburg, uh, 5-0 or something. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say a few years ago. Or Dortmund beat Bayern 5-2. <laughs> yeah, but, but even that, that was a relatively close game for 60 minutes or so, even yeah, though Dortmund Bayern were, were the better side, as we know. Yeah. No, they weren't Philipp Lahm, but, uh, but you know that it was still a relatively close game for large stretches, uh, despite the scoreline being relatively uh, on point afterwards. So uh, the, the same as you guys expect, more or less, uh, Dortmund to have all the possession, Frankfurt to try and hit them with a counter or two, and, and otherwise hope for a set piece. Uh, the only way I think uh, this is going to be a blowout is if Dortmund uh, score from the first chance, uh, which could make Frankfurt, who are on a wretched run of form, as we talked about earlier, uh, could could perhaps turn them into even more mistake-prone players than they already are at the at this point in the season. But uh, it's more likely, certainly, that it's going to be a typical cup final, you know, a relatively close game with, I think we all have Dortmund as the clear-cut, fav- uh, clear-cut favorite still. But, uh, I mean, one thing... Uh, we have to take into account is that both teams have been in penalty shootouts twice in the cup season this year. Uh, 
Frankfurt against was it Augsburg and then Gladbach in the semifinal and Dortmund against uh, Union and Hertha, the two Berlin clubs. And uh, I think Lukas Radetzky has been Frankfurt's best player in the cup simply because he was very, very good in the penalty shootout. So if it comes to <laughs> he that... He also had the most things to do, I guess. Yeah, that I mean... Uh, you have to make the best of your opportunities. So, he, and he did that. So if by uh, chance it comes to that, that would worry me a bit more than anything Frankfurt can do in the 120 minutes leading up to that uh, conclusion. Yeah. One slight correction though. Uh, Frankfurt, of course, beat Bielefeld, I think on penalties. They uh, played Magdeburg in the first round and Ingolstadt, Hannover, Bielefeld, Gladbach, and then, yeah, we'll play Dortmund. So, on all accounts, pretty easy cup season. Uh, if you take out Gladbach, who I don't, I don't know, Gladbach were struggling pretty bad on on their own accounts as well. So um, yeah, lucky for Frankfurt, of course, to avoid Bayern Munich. But uh, yeah, that's one way to reach a cup final, I guess. Um, so you know, they're nonetheless deserve to be there. And uh, you know, I personally, I'm always happy for clubs like Frankfurt who don't have a lot of. Uh, yeah, glory in, in, in their uh, seasons that they can reach such a final. I, I mean, their city will be completely electric on Saturday, I, I guess. And uh, yeah, if Dortmund somehow managed to find a way to lose this, uh, I at least will be a little bit happy for Frankfurt winning it, although it's not my favorite club by any means. But, you know, I can I can uh, grant the underdog a win. However, um. Yeah, Dortmund probably going to win it as we all just thought and predicted. Um, Matthias, since we will not record right away after the final because we are both unavailable, um, let me ask you this and we probably have another view on, on that subject when we record again in two weeks. Um, how much harder or easier will it be for Hans-Joachim Watzke to moderate the uh, sacking of Thomas Tuchel after the cup final, if it happened? Uh, well, I mean, it's always hard to let someone go who's been successful. Uh, yeah, he hasn't. And granted, they win the cup final. That's what we're assuming here. Um, you know, he's two cup finals, lost one. Um, unlucky in the Champions League. Not so unlucky in the Europa League the season before. Uh, they were just... I don't know, still that Liverpool match. And then, of course, finishing second, finishing third. So all in all, successful uh, on the pitch. It's off the pitch. That's the problem. And so much has been said and certain things in the way Vatska and even Soak, they've positioned themselves. I think if they let Tuchel go, it won't come as a shock to anyone. And I don't think there will be an uproar if they had let, say, Jürgen Klopp go. Uh, which he decided to leave. Uh, that, that would have completely, uh, tipped the scale against them. I think with Tuchel, because he's never truly connected to the Dortmund supporters, uh, though I would disagree with letting him go. Uh, I don't think it would, there wouldn't be an uproar and upheaval because of it. All right. I don't know. I, I just say let's wait and see because I've re really no idea how this will go down because there are a lot of people who are already voicing their support for Tuchel and who don't really want him to leave because of the success you just mentioned. But 
yeah, it will be interesting to see how, um, yeah, what's good talk and, and the club overall will moderate it should it happen and if more details will be revealed publicly or not. So yeah, this will be all a lot of fun. Last, unless you have two cents on that su subject, uh, should we move on to the under 19s winning the, uh, Ayung Bundesliga on Monday? Uh, my two cents are that the seats already have been planted and the back channeling between Watzke or let's say the club and the, their friends in the media, uh, leads me to believe that moderation has been the only reason, uh, for all this drama in the last few weeks, you know, preparing people for the inevit inevitability of, uh, Tuchel's I don't know if he's going to be sacked or if they agree to uh, part ways amicably. But uh, the, all the media talk in the last few weeks was only about preparing people for life after Tuchel and, and planting the seed uh, in a sense that nobody gets absolutely shocked by the news uh, uh, whenever they come down. So uh, I, I'm, I'm not... Uh, I'm not really looking forward to it because I don't want Tuchel to leave, but it all feels rather inevitable to me. Yeah, that is true. Um, you know, one funny notion maybe that uh, Tuchel was asked after the game against Bremen whether he wants to stay, and he said that's out of the question, of course. Um, of course, you can also say that's the sort of thing Tuchel has to say. But uh, on, on the other hand, uh, I sort of believe him. I, I think he has a good project here, and uh, yeah... Basically, he built his team more or less now, and I, I think he would like to continue with it. So we will see how talks will go down. But yeah, I I also think that there, yeah, his exit is more or less inevitable. Looking at all that, yeah, media upheaval as as you just described it last. Anywho, let's move on to the under 19, and uh, was a nice little final uh, for once. Dortmund got to host the final in their own stadium and did not have to play. Uh, away from home Lars or Matthias whoever wants to uh, answer this how impressed were you guys with uh, Dortmund selling 33,450 tickets for an under 19 game Matthias <laughs> um well I mean it's very impressive I mean it shows again how passionate uh Dortmund supporters are that they go there it's the same when you look at the under 23s or the second team how often you know, you get a lot of supporters showing up there. Obviously, the fact that they were playing against Bayern uh, under 19 added some spice to it, added some interest to it. Um, but I think it's uh, a statement uh, for how big of a club Dortmund really are. But we also have to point out that Bayern had about thousand people themselves, which is pretty impressive for an away support in, at the under 19 level, seeing as uh, some Bundesliga clubs struggle to get 1000 people to come to the Westfalen Stadion to see their senior teams play. So, uh, uh, actually had Schalke won their semifinal and, and not choked in a penalty shootout after beating Bayern away 3-1 even though the away goals rule doesn't apply at the under 19 level, but still, uh, then I guess they, they would have had more than 50,000 in the stadium, but I'm pretty sure everybody was relatively, uh, okay with, uh, Schalke losing, uh, because that would have been, uh, would have meant much more of a security presence and all that, uh, what, what that entails. So I'm, I'm pretty sure they were all pretty happy that Bayern was the opponent. 
even though they could have arguably set an even higher record uh, than they did. They beat the former record for the under-19 finals by about 10,000 people in the stadium, uh, which, uh, as as you guys mentioned, uh, is really just a testament to just how much uh, people in Dortmund love their football. Yeah, I mean, Jurgen Klopp once said that basically 80,000 or I don't know how many thousands come only if you turn on the floodlights in the stadium. And I think that, yeah, had to be true to some extent. Um, Lars, how did you see the game itself? I mean, the first half was rather uneventful, but Dortmund were the better team in the second half. I think they deserve to win that final. Yeah, overall, not a great game of football. Um, I mean... For Dortmund especially, uh, with so many key players unavailable for large stretches of the season, the fact that they made the final was impressive in, a, in and of itself. And then for them to uh, survive Bayern's wave of chances in the first half, um, survive having to make three of their four substitutions, uh, it's four at the under-19 level uh, with... Uh, injuries or not necessarily injuries, but cramping, uh, and, and, and then to remain calm in front of the yellow wall, even though it wasn't uh, filled with the usual 25,000 people, it was still a rather imposing, uh, just view. as loud. I yeah. Can't say. I, I can't, uh, judge that because I wasn't in the stadium as you were, but, um, it was still certainly, uh, something that, that many young people in general don't, doesn't have to be footballers would would be quite wary of so for them to remain calm and score all but i think one of their penalties uh i mean that's that's just really impressive and then if you look at it they they were without their coach <laughs> hannes wolf uh, defecting if you like to stuttgart in september i believe they were without their best center back in patrick fritsch their best fullback in Darius Guderi, their best striker in Janisera for months of the season, um, Paslak and Pulisic. Pulisic didn't play a single game, I believe, for the under-19s, and Paslak uh, only available to the under-19 team uh, in, uh, here and there throughout the season and then for the for the playoffs. So for them to win another title as it's the fourth in a row for players such as Janis Bonic and Paslak, I mean, I don't have... I don't have words to to praise them enough for for how special that achievement really is. Yeah, it's just, just amazing, really. That's what it is, and you can only congratulate them. It's truly impressive. Sorry, I sometimes forget the host, and if I don't ask anything, the conversation just stops. So, Matthias, how how impressive is it to you? And uh, do you think Dortmund can hold that sort of level on in their youth systems? I mean, maybe not measured in, in titles per se, okay. but. All right. Uh, cause I, I think we've talked about it in previous episodes once. I don't actually value titles at youth very highly at all. Uh, to me, it's significantly more about performances and development of players because you can win all the youth leagues and titles you want. If it doesn't actually translate something at the senior level, it really doesn't matter. Um, I mean, I don't know how often Schalke have won something at the youth level, and you can see how often they've won something at the senior level. So it, to me, it's more important that they develop more players because I personally feel like over the last few seasons, um, 
we haven't really seen a lot of players make it through to the senior team and start to establish themselves. I'm not going to count Christian Pulisic simply because it's not like he joined when he was much younger. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, he's technically a product of the youth. Uh, Felix Paslak is technically a product of our youth system, but I'd, I'd like to see, see more. Um, and I think that's something that uh, Dortmund really has to look at and maybe reevaluate things. I mean, we can't forget that, you know, Hannes Wolf left, um, who was the manager or the head coach of the under 19s ahead of this season. So obviously there's a dynamic there, but we'll also have to look at it at the second team level, you know, where first, uh, David Wagner left and now current under 23 manager looks like he's going to be leaving. We need to make sure that we shore that up and develop the players. So winning a title is cool. It's great uh, for all the reasons that Lars mentioned. But I want to see more. I want to see the players breaking through to the first team on a more regular basis. That's how I would measure success for our youth system. Yeah, I think ultimately that's uh, how you have to measure it and how many players actually make it to the senior squad, which in Dortmund, of course, is quite a quite a step if you uh, consider how yeah good they are at senior level you know this is uh, not, not a step easy for yeah maybe established league players even so um yeah i i would i would say though that a couple of more players maybe would have made it through if it wasn't due to uh, gruesome injuries i mean only look at uh, fritsch for example how uh, yeah rotten his last two or three years even were with uh, ACL tears and, and, and whatnot. So, well, even um, before yeah. then, you look at guys like Marvin Duksch and Daniel Ginczek. Yeah, uh, well, Koch. In, yeah, right? injuries. Koch. Yep, injuries completely derailed their development process at Dortmund. They've gone on, especially Daniel Ginczek, to, to be a good player, but never reaching their full potential just because of injuries. But that's not something you can really train against. Some players are lucky, some are unlucky. That's unfortunately the way it goes. Um, Lars, any any uh, final cup predictions from your side before we head out? Um, my prediction is that Dortmund will win 3-1. All right, that's also my prediction, Matthias. Do you have a different prediction? Uh, same goal difference, different score line. I think it'll be 2-0 to Dortmund. All right, fair enough. Yeah, I think it's going to be like a close 2-1 for Dortmund and then they score a third very late in the game. That's how I picture it. And uh, yeah, since I was lucky so many times in the last games, uh, it's even more likely that I'm wrong this time. So um, anywho, let's just get out of here. Matthias, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matthias Suk. That is very nice. And uh, thank you once again for joining. Uh, Always pleasure. Fun. Always yeah. fun. We will hear from each other in two weeks, I presume. Lars, where can people find you on Twitter and read your work? I'm not going to make the same uh, joke three weeks running. So I'm just going to tell people they can follow me at Lars Polman. Are you saying you don't have a, the stanima for a running gag? All right. wow, wow, wow. <laughs> Anywho, uh, yeah, also a pleasure to have you once again on the panel. You can find me at Stefan Butzko on the internet. You can follow the Yellow World Pod and get in touch with us there via Twitter at Yellow World Pod. Uh, yeah, follow us on Facebook, same name. And if you edit.com, you will find our 
website where you can find our written content and our podcast feeds, which usually, and I'm sorry for some weird reason, it didn't appear. The last episode didn't appear on iTunes. I hope I can still, uh, yeah, somehow correct that. But yeah, usually you can find us on iTunes, leave us a rating or yeah, any, any nice sentences there. And otherwise SoundCloud and Stitcher will be your best guesses next to our webpage. Anywho, that would be all until two weeks where we will have to talk about the cup final, of course, and then another episode with the season awards, which of course will be fun until then. Goodbye. <laughs>